0: Bike racing is a brutal sport often dominated by the biggest names and the biggest teams. But the beauty of this sport is on the start line, everyone has a chance to win. Our guest today took full advantage of this opportunity and won the biggest race of her career, Perry roubaix Femme. Please welcome Allison Jackson today on Bobby and Jens. All right, everyone, the one, the only, Allison Jackson. Welcome to Bobby and Jens.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Wow. Oh, wow. What a month you have had. Um, tell us, what is it like being a literal rock star right now?
1: Yes. Um, actually, it, it has been totally wild. Um, still have had, you know, a few bike races after the fact, but also in different countries. And I feel like Every new city I go to, we just relive all the celebration and moments again. So I just feel like, yeah, it's it's been a month or more, and um, I'm still like living on the high of just like celebrating the moments and reliving it, and and uh, hearing from other people, fans and friends, their experience of watching the bike race. Like everyone's got their own story about it. It's pretty cool.
2: So, um, after you won that race, of course, all your team know how big it is. But what did Mom and Dad say? Did they understand how big it is? How much of a legend you become?
1: You know, I think it's been growing on them as, you know, Canadian media picked it up, and, uh, you know, that it, it's becoming a little bit bigger in Canada, more maybe than they would um recognize like uh, they got calls from media to answer interviews themselves. Because really, in in Canada, you know, that's not so steeped in, in culture, and then also for my family that's on this uh, big farm in Alberta, in this little town. Um, Yeah, this sort of, you know, big deal doesn't, doesn't really hit as much with, with the family, you know. Um, My dad basically, he would say to me, I didn't realize you liked rocks so much. I got so many in the, in my fields here. If you want to pick them out, like that's what the conversation turns into. But no, I mean, I mean, I've been in the sport for a lot of time, and and so and they followed along with the whole thing, and they also, you know, they know what it takes—the ups and downs, the fight, the the lifestyle that you have to live in order to try to get a result like this. So no, no, it's it's uh, it means a lot to them too. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, it's hard enough to
0: become a a pro racing in the US, let alone Canada, and then in the women's world of cycling, because you started, you know, what, 2014, 2015. What was your introduction to cycling there in Alberta? Did you see maybe the tour of Alberta when it was a race back in the day? Or what was that influence for you?
1: Yeah, actually, growing up there in my town, no cyclist. Um, I mean, I, I think when I was younger, we had um, a bike, me and my brother and my sister. Um, we all had this one little kid's bike that we all learned how to ride a bike, but then that was basically it. And I didn't pick up bike riding until, yeah, later, till I was 19. And i went away to university, came back, and there's a, a bicycle in the garage. Uh, some guy that I worked for, my my dad on the farm. Had left this Walmart special, or what we say, it, Canadian Tire special. So really, just like a shit bike, left in the garage, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna ride it to town, like 20k on the you know soft gravel roads or whatever, and just um, yeah, just because why not? Um, but really, yeah, it wasn't. It was really in my university time when I got sort of connected with the, a cycling club, um, and then uh, you know all the all the old guys there just really wanted wanted me to race because i was smashing them um up the hills and things um yeah so i mean it was quite a quite a late start uh for my career
2: so um you were born in vermilion some 3950 inhabitants right and every wikipedia page has famous sons and daughters of the city There's only four for vermilion, and you one of them. <laughs> did you know that? Oh wow! You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Check check it out. And uh, the other two is like two hockey players, and another female athlete. She is a skier. How you're the only summer sport athletes in there? How does it come that you, as a Canadian, did not pick up ice skating, figure skating, or skiing? Uh, how was it never attractive to you the idea of doing any winter sports?
1: Yeah. So growing up, um, yeah, we skated and everyone always plays pond hockey, but, um, my parents never wanted us, uh, to play hockey cause it was so rough, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is funny now cause I mean cycling, there's quite a few injuries and the risk involved in that. But, um, yeah, so we, yeah, just stuck to basically pond hockey, learning how to skate. Um, did a lot, I did a lot of skiing, cross country skiing, um, like Becky Scott, who would be the other uh, Olympic athlete uh, from my town. She she was a cross country skier. We got great trails there, so a lot of that. Um, and then yeah, in the winters, snowboarding and 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 cross country skiing. Just never took it to to like a professional level. So I mean, everything that I did, on a ton of sports. Because uh, when in a small town, when you're a sport kid, you then have to do all the sports so that we can have a team. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, then that's kind of like the holistic athlete approach of just like, you know, sessioning hard, whatever that you're doing and, and staying active, um, all the farm chores too, but, but not really specializing until much later.
0: So you go from whooping all the old guys' butts up there in Alberta, and then you get onto the 2016 team ran by Nicola Cranmer, who is, uh. Very close friend of both Jens and I. Tell us how you got her attention.
1: Yeah, so um, basically at the end of my university, I just wanted to be a a professional athlete. And at that time, I'd been doing some triathlons um, and had a running scholarship at the university, uh, but I also had the the Olympic dream. And so triathlon really wasn't gonna be it for me. My swim was never good enough. but the the running like in university I never plateaued with my running time so you know it was an unknown. but cycling I uh, had never really entered any races. Um, so the the club, the guys really like pushed me to enter BC Super week, which is basically you know 10 or you know 10 days of current of racing um, but it was a, the, a lot of pros showed up um, to that and uh, so I remember guest riding for for a little team. And, and then telling me, like, you know, if you, you know, for your first race, like, if you make it halfway through these crits, that's pretty good. Not that halfway. And then I was second that the first race and then won uh, a few others on Twitter, White Rock, and and uh, some other races. So so then also, I remember, um, everyone was pretty, pretty excited and they're telling me, oh, like, pro teams, they're going to be calling you. And I was like, okay. I mean, now that I know, you, like, how are they ever gonna get my phone number? Um, that's not how it works in pro cycling. You gotta advocate for yourself, you gotta meet people, you gotta put your resume out there. But um, yeah, it was still like connection through um our uh cycling Canada president at the time, uh John Tolkamp. He he was at Worlds and Nicole Cranmer was there too and and they got talking and he was like, Oh, we got this really interesting athlete. Um, and she was like, Well, what races has she won? And he's like, Well, she not many. Um, not much of a resume there, but was like really good runner. And so her and, uh, Murray Holden, who was the director at the time, um, they looked in, into basically my history of running, um, and had won some championships up in Canada. And, uh, so yeah, they, they took me on basically as a walk on spot, like, you know, uh, we'll, we'll give you a, a chance and, and see where it goes from there. So
2: were you then already feeling like, hey, I'm a professional or did it take another year or two more years with a bigger team until you actually went, oh, now I do feel like a professional cyclist?
1: Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, I think I'm always a yes person. So when I get an opportunity, then I'm going to dive, head, head straight into it, full um, gas, um, just see what what I can soak up out of that whole experience. So when I got the call to be on the team, I was like, all right, like I'm in, um, you know, stop swimming, stop running, hold on, let's see what we can do with this. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't know when I would think like considering myself, uh, a professional athlete, um, you know, making a zero dollar salary at the time. Um, but I, I just loved what I got to do. And so I, uh, you know, I think that was like good enough for me. It was probably maybe in the next year or that year, my first year, um, I won I won the first stage of, of Redlands. Um, so like as a nobody, but, you know, coming in and winning this race and then getting to wear the yellow jersey and also understanding like, you know, the connection of a yellow jersey and Tour de France and, and then, you know, realizing in a, in our small world of, you know, American bike racing, this is a big deal and really like a breakthrough kind of a race for me. And I think it was like in that moment that I really felt like, yeah, I'm a professional. This is... uh you know, I, maybe I can make a career out of this. Well, after after uh,
0: staying with Nicola's team for a couple of years, I mean, you had teammates like Chloe Dygart and Kristen Armstrong. You know, you must have been able to learn a lot from them very, very quickly. And then you went to a a team called B-Pink coligas and then went to Team TIBCO Silicon Valley Bank. Was the legend who is now running your current team, EF Education TIPCO Silicon Valley Bank, Linda Jackson. Was she actually there when you were at that team the first time?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, she's been a part of the team since inception way back in, oh, I mean, in 2000 early. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she she had heard about me, um, you know, as a Canadian, you know, she's also a Canadian. So uh, when I first came on the scene and had won some races, she, she had heard about me. Uh, but she was really tentative early in, in my career to sign me because uh, I had no uh, no results or no real history in in bike racing. Um, but but you I uh, yeah always you know had connection points with her in the, and um, you know if I did well she she would be sending me messages congrats and that and that comes from you know Canadian to Canadian where, you know so she's very supportive of Canadian athletes. Um, So then, yeah, when the timing was right, um, 2018, uh, yeah, I I signed a contract with her.
2: And um, now that you won um, Roubaix, um, when and how did you realize you were more of a one-day racer or sprinter or a powerhouse or somebody else told you, hey, Alison, I think you are this and this type of rider? Or did you work it out yourself because you had a short history in cycling, right? So not even sure if you knew all the names and categories when you got into it, right? If you a sprint or a GC rider or not, when and how did you find out where you fit in there?
1: Yeah. I think also when I started in, in women's racing, um, really it was that all arounder type of rider that was winning all the races. I mean, back then, like, I guess it was a couple of years before I came on the scene, but Mariana boss could win every race. She could win the Giro. She could win any of the classic. She could win the Sprinter races, um, the pan flat races. Um, and, and now, really, as the sport has grown and evolved, we're really starting to see, uh, so the depth of the field of strength is, is more, and now we're seeing specialists come out. So now we have specialist climbers, we have real, like, pure bunch sprinters, um, and then the sort of classics riders. But for me, um, I just wanted to win every bike race. Every one that I was in, I was like, how do you do it? I want to do it. And uh, so then I started coining the phrase, like, climber, like a sprinter climber that was, you know, a little bit more sprinter, but then also could could be like that last person over the climbs just enough to, you know, come into the, the finish for a sprint. Um, but also I loved racing and everything. Even when I was losing and it was, I was the worst at, you know, these long mound finishes. I loved being in the bike race and also still riding my heart out in the early days, riding my heart out for every every possible position I've hit yet. We're coming to the line, I'm sprinting for 80th. Um, and part of that is just, you know, it's not when you're so new. But also for me, I just kept thinking, well, what if this was the final? How am I, can I learn how to navigate the finish in any of these things? And, and uh, I think starting early for my first few years like that, uh, also really just, Kept setting the tone for basically a a winner mindset. Oh,
0: I like what you just said there, because I was very um, obviously a time trialer, and you know sometimes you get to a time trial and it's at the end of the race and you're toast, right? But I would take every time trial as if it was the overall GC on the line. So even if I was going to finish 50th in that time trial, I still did my protocol and still kind of imagined myself so that that day, when that day came, that I was battling for the overall GC, that I would be ready. So that's that's my little segue into you know you started racing pretty earlier early this year. You did all the classics with the read up lead up to uh, Paris Roubaix, and you walk away with winning probably well. Most definitely the biggest one day classic, the Perry Roubaix Femme Avec Swift. Um, you don't just go into that and flipping a coin. There had to have been some mental preparation, some physical preparation, maybe some recon, some equipment choices, tire pressure choices. What was your buildup to Perry Roubaix Femme Avec Swift in, in that sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, with Perry Bay being the final race of the classics, like that, that's two months of really like hard racing. And this, this spring was was a, a real classics kind of Belgian spring. The weather was bad, there was rainy races, it was cold. Um, so, you know, that also like to get to the final of those two months, being one, healthy and not injured, already then you're okay if i've got those two things and i'm in a good way because there's so many girls i mean even the fatigue uh, coming to the the final you know you've been fighting for placings like all for these months and months um yeah it's really hard to to come to Prairie Ruby it's already one so rough on the body um and then still having you know the winter mindset and also like is your body resilient enough to be able to handle a continuous load and to, to be able to still keep saying yes to when you when your body has to you know make the made the hard efforts and uh, yeah you know we in the in the spring because I race every race every weekend race and, and midweek race um, we, it's always a really interesting uh, how how to train and keep the fitness because you, you got to rest and recover so that you're fresh for the races then you got to do a proper recovery. Um, and then your next race is already coming up. So it's really hard to, you know, keep the fitness up. Um, and you know, now I've been doing this for a a number of years. So with me and my coach, we're able to sort of finesse that a little bit. Um, and you know, also now, you know, if I'm not in the final of a race, you start your recovery already early so that maybe the next day you can put in a training load and, and prep for, for the next races. So it's a, it's a really like day to day sort of working with your coach on those things. Um I had a bad crash in Drentha which was early early enough that I had, you know, sort of a week off after i um, had some stitches and stuff in the knee. Um, but, so, you know, able to like cover it and, and eat. still keep racing, even though that's a bit of a risk, you know, to crash again and open up uh you know, the stitches or, or whatever. But by the time getting to Perry Rubay it had it had been four weeks or Yeah. So, so the healing was pretty good. Um, but yeah, also, uh, had stayed out of, you know, any bad crashes. Um, Mm -hmm. and really that, that means a lot when you, when you come to, to Perry Roubaix. Uh, so the body was feeling good. Um, and then also for me, like my, my goal, I mean, coming into almost the the last couple of Springs, um, I want to win a world tour race. I want to win a classic. Um, Those races have the most history. Um, They're really hard races to win. Things have to go well for you. The timing, um, you know, I've had good results, but, you know, to go from a top 10 to winning is really hard. Um, But I had that, you know, written down. That's my goal, win a classic, win, win one of these races. And I had not won one yeah, and we had kept losing, even as a team. We just, I just felt like we kept missing the mark, missing the mark. And there were some good things, but you know, it wasn't happening for us. And and then I, as we the races go, I tried to analyze. Okay, how can we approach these races differently? Um, and it seemed just like you know, waiting. We were just waiting too much. And the, and then behind the action. And so when we got to Perry Bay, really, I just had this burning fire in me that I was so tired of losing. That, and also, so tired of waiting for the action to happen and then trying to be in that right move at the right time, that I just in this race I decided I was going to bleed through my eyeballs or I was going to give absolutely everything in this race. So that when I would finish the race, however it went, I could say I could have I couldn't have given anything more. Uh, so I think it was like that accumulation of really f- feeling frustrated with the the performance and the, the losing um and then also coming to the so coming to the race of that fire um and and also you know good health
2: so now that you just uh, told us you entered the race with that burning desire to perform you got your heart into it right mm-hmm. when did your head click in and go hey don't get too excited but i think this thing's turning our way and then maybe when did your head go hey don't mess it up, but I think you might be winning this one. <laughs> How was that process within the race?
1: Yeah, you know what, though? I'd always find I'm still relaxed on Perry roubaix day because even though I think like it's a good race for me, there's a potential I can win, and, and I'm a very confident person, so I'm thinking if someone's going to ask me if I could win this, I'm saying yes because I have <laughs> just this real high belief in myself. But with Perry Rube, you have to have good luck. There, there's I kept saying in the, the previous editions I had crashed three times the first the first year, um, one time the second year, and I always said, you know if if I could have a clean run, then I was going to be able to be in it for the for the the win. Um, but there's so much that's out of your control on Perry Rube. So I think starting the race, I'm so relaxed because all I can do is what I can do and there's so much that can happen that is just out of my control. But basically, I'm just prepared to make good decisions at the moments so that I can, when I can make a decision that's in my control. So when I start the race, like Paris Roubaix is the race that I have the least nerves for because I think I'm just able to give give it up and be able to enter into the journey or the storyline of the Um So th- then that's how I started, just pretty chill, but really just attended to like how's this race going to play out, and because. Um, It was a longer edition. This is the longest edition that we had, and we had this new kind of longer lap before getting into the cobbles. And I really felt like, like what we see on the men's race so often is you can set up the race before you get to the kind of the key points of the cobbles, and there can be an early break. And a lot of times, someone in that early break can go really far because in Perrier Bay, you can go really far. You don't know what's going to happen behind crashes, flats. um, You know, you get to the cobbles. And it's really hard to chase anything back on those rough cobbles. So um, I, I had that in in mind, and then just kind of even watch of the race, and uh, yeah, just seeing that there's this, you know, big break going. and We needed to test someone in, and and I went in, and they let us go with a group of twenty. And immediately when I saw like we we're getting in the gap with a group of twenty, I thought, you know, if we can get, we can get four or five minutes, then I think we can take this all the way. And and with such a, uh, a big group like this, I also thought I'm going to be able to save more energy. It's not going to be a breakaway where I really have to be on the pedals the whole time and get super fatigued. There's gonna, it's a little bit more sharing of the load. And then, yeah, when we got up to almost six minutes, I thought, all right, this, this is the tactic I'm playing. My tactic, my choice of the day is try to make this breakaway stick all the way to the final.
0: Well, that's what was so amazing about the race. You know, 145 kilometers, 17 sectors of cobblestones totaling 29 kilometers in length. Uh, the first sector started with, what, 82 left to go, and you guys had five and a half minutes. And yeah. I understand, like, okay, that's a pretty comfortable buffer. But you ladies had were down to 10 seconds in that last, like five or six kilometers and that's where I really saw you like live like just demanding and motivating that group almost to the point where I was just like man she's doing too much work here but like 10 seconds I mean they could have you know kicked a football and 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 bridged the gap but they never did um what was it like being that close to the finish line but then that i would have thought an inevitable feeling that we're going to get caught and then you somehow motivated that group of ladies that you were with to get all the way to the finish and then you know didn't even have to worry about them at all at the end
1: yeah and i, I think that's that's something that that's what i love about bike racing this tactic and this game and it and uh, it can it can change you know so quickly and it's, it's all about the decision-making of the riders. What are we putting into it? Are we, what game are we playing? And um, right from the beginning, I did not take a turn off. I was always rolling through. And part of that is, you know, mm-hmm. leading by example. If I'm riding all every time all the way through, even when girls start sitting on, I'm, sitting on I'm showing everyone else that I believe that there's a chance. That it's possible. I'm belie- I believe in this group. And I think that also helped others just, well, you know, keep rolling through, keep rolling through. But, you know, by the time when we got to to 5K to go and, and the gap was, you know, 9 seconds, 10 seconds, I mean, we had went from a group of 20 down to, you know, what was it, a group of, of seven. And, uh, you know, some girls were also playing the game just sitting on. And that's also what a lot of times happens, right? Um, it kills the breakaway. Um, everyone, you know is being told in their earpiece don't do more than anyone else don't do more than anyone else my ds was telling me that also you're doing too much work you're doing too much work early on in and i'm like leading the cobbles on a really hard pace i um, mean trying to make the difference there um and, or um but my choice was still that uh you know to believe in this break and that if i start to sit on everyone's gonna sit on and it's gonna die So, so someone has to keep going and i didn't want to Play that game where you leave it to chance that other people are going to make it happen for you. I just, um, you know, believed in myself. Thought I, I'm in a good shape for this type of race. I have a good sprint, usually better um, sprint when it's when it's a hard race. So um, yeah, just just leaning into that, and by doing that, then you know, gathering you know some motivation from the other girls to, to keep going. But what I think is so interesting. So when I watch it back. And even when I see that group that's so close to us, and I think I even get you know I know the outcome, but I even think oh it's over they're right there. But what I think was happening that we have been traveling about at the same pace, you know, for the long time. And so when that group kind of comes up to us, they think oh we've got them because you know we're they're expecting us to keep traveling at that same pace. But at that time, I look back and I see I see them. They're so close, and then I think. We've been out here for 140k just to give it up in the last five. No way! I, and this is the part where I'm gonna bleed through my eyeballs to make it all the way. that I want to finish this race, leaving everything out on the road. And uh, by doing that, we picked up the pace. So now we've actually gone faster, but they can't tell um, that our you know we're actually working harder and faster. Now they're they're slowing down, and we've gone faster and pulling away, pulling away. And by the time you know they realize it it's, it's a long race. It's also been hard for them. There's less, um, you know, teams that have teammates where it can make something happen. Um, they, you know, the girls from behind are trying to, you know, make some of an attack, but it, it, you know, right, it surges and it flows. And it's just that beautiful, um, you know, way that a bike race can happen that it just like works out so well for, for me in the breakaway and the, the game that we were playing, um, but yeah, so so really it wasn't until, you know, I, I'm still getting the you know, the information in my ear that it's like ten seconds, not twelve seconds back to fifteen. And we get to that kind of that hill that's Jeff um just like a small slope before we kind of get into the uh is that like three K to go or whatever. And um one of the other girls just took that pace so hard up that hill and basically I thought if we could get over this little part. Then we were going to be home free um to to make it to the velodrome because from the back that would be the part where you could bridge if you had something left even if you had the legs um you you know that's when you can see us um but we made it over that and there's you know enough of us four of us that were still rolling through and then uh yeah then but then once you come into the velodrome it was really just like you know you have to stop thinking or you know how can i win this or whatever it was just sense the rage, trust your in- instincts, and, uh, and then also you know s- sprint like your life depends on it.
0: And we'll be right back after this short break.
2: Now back to our chat with Alison. You had the physical fitness because you won it, but your bike must have been like up for the challenge as well. Um, for our tech geeks out there, what was your tire width and tire pressure? Did you use different gears? Double handlebar tape for more, um, for like a better, like a softer grip. Any changes you did?
1: So, you know, the position and sap is, is the same that I ride for through all the races. And I've developed, like, you know, a real nice comfort with the bike in that sense. Um, the, we did ride 30s, so a little wider tire. Um, still stuck with the, the tubular. Um, when we did some of the the recon and testing, um, you know, testing out what tubeless would feel like. Um, is there any burping when you really slam into some of these uh cobbles or the potholes or whatever? Um, and I just really like the feel of the of the tubular. You always get feel just a bit more of a, a bounce or a sponginess. You don't really feel like you bottom out or or hit the cobbles. Um and then yeah, quite a quite a load, uh tire pressure. Um, I think I was running three point two bar. Um, and then yeah, um normally I always race with gloves. Perry Rubé though, no gloves. And for me it's like th- that little bit of fabric between you and the bar, I think it just caught it just it can just shift or cause that little bit of friction. And on the first edition, that's where I got or in some recons, that's where I'll, I'll get a blister then. Basically, just from that fabric boutique. Um, but then, and then when I ride, I mean, I, I, you know, always move my hands around all all the time on the base bar, the hoods, the drop. Um, I'll keep my hands basically open and just palms on the bar, um, not really holding on or gripping. And that's where it's also really nice when you're riding in the brake, a little bit more chill. It's not as chaotic where you might have to bump into people, you know, into the collar, so you can keep sort of a looser grip. Um, yeah. And then, and then, you know, whatever ripples are coming through your body when you're on the cobbles, you just always keep head Well,
0: you know, watching it live, you, you know, we don't know the outcome. So we could tell that you were strong. We could tell that you were motivating the others. You always seem to be in the right place. But when you go back and watch the replays, that's where all of a sudden, okay, we know the outcome, but like, like you'd be right next to a crash or you'd be able to take a turn and you know the ladies behind you would have to like you know get get back up to you so i refer to that in hindsight of like you were in the flow like you had this protective yeah. little circle around you but going from that long on the cobblestones making that massive effort like you said with 3k to go over that little bump then turning onto the velodrome again You did not put a foot wrong like you did exactly what is textbook like, you know, don't lead it out, but, you know, don't panic if somebody gets a gap. Um, what was that last final few hundred meters once you got on the track? I mean, do you have a track background? Did somebody coach you on how to do that? Or was it, as we all know by now that it was just your day?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It just absolutely my day i think about that so many times you know when you come into a sprint even if you're the best sprinter it's still a bit of a gamble you know it's about positioning so much of it positioning and power and when people are going to start and and uh, the timing of it all and it and you know you can do all the right things all day long and then you know blow it in in a sprint final and uh um yeah being able to sit you know second wheel even you know the sd girl works crashing on me inside of the mm-hmm. track like that could have taken out all of us but you know we're fine um and then you know even i get past, you know just in the you know 200 um 200 meters to go and then you know even me i'm thinking am i losing it this race like i don't know it, like how hard does she hold this straight? um i only you know i watch bike racing i know track racing um, I tried to talk, you know, to every time when we go to this race, whoever's been on the team who has a track background, just asking them, you know, where is it? How do you get the speed? How, you know, how do you use the, the track, your advantage or the banking? So I knew that then coming on to the St. Michelle's wheel, but by being just a little bit higher on the track, when we came through the turn, I knew I was going to have just a little bit more speed. And really once we came around that bend, I had so much more speed um coming through and then and then the lights. Um because uh, you know, she that girl, she's she's also a strong sprinter. Um but yeah, then then being able to back up the positioning, uh using the track in the right way, but also yeah, in the final of a hard race where I rode so much of it, you know, on the front, um, to be able to still just to come out with the power to take the win. Yeah. It just it's a to win this race it t- takes all these things you know all the bad luck was not was far away from me the good luck everything was in my favor the timing the positioning the things and just yeah that state of flow um and, and you know also in in the final it's fun it's fun now you know watching um, people analyzing the sprint and then you know commenting on all the things that i'm doing right where i'm like oh, that yeah that that is interesting that that, that looks about right cuz in the moment I'm not thinking about any of these things I'm just I'm just desperately trying to win a bike race Good
2: instincts then I yes. guess. <laughs> um, yes, for sure. Um, so you did a few more Paris-Roubaix before, right? Yeah. Um, just to give our listeners, I did it uh, twice only, uh, just to give our listeners an idea how terrible they are. On my first recon, we hit the first couple and I stopped my teammates and said, hey, this is a practical joke you play on me, right? <laughs> There's no way we're gonna race on this in three days' time. What was your f- very first impression? Where you, this is awesome. I'm gonna win this one day, or you go, oh, this is so stupid.
1: You know, th- that's the thing too. You know, and, uh, we've also had so many conversations, or you know, the UCI talks about these safety protocols and so on, but those get thrown out the window absolutely for when we race carrier Bay. Because even if if these roads were paved. And still left with all the 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 poles and the potholes and things, we would ride over this and we would say, "No way, it's dangerous. We're out of here." But because it's Perrier Bay and it's all these roads that just has so much history and the lore of the race, then we're like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm into that shit. I'm I'm going all in." Um, but yeah, when when I first, when we did the first recon and I was like, "I'm pretty good at riding the cobbles," um, you know, and you know, we talk about Flanders area uh, those kind of Flemish cobbles. And so, yeah, I'm going to ride, I'm just going to ride on the cobbles the whole race, you know, the whole recon. Well, you know, a few sectors in, I'm just like, like everything feels bad. And so then now i started like eyeing the gutters, like actually, you know, sometimes I think that's like a cop out, but, but really like, yeah, I I don't want to be, I don't want to take another kilometer or another pedal stroke on these these bumpy, rough calls that just like throw you around. I mean, your back hurts, your arms, your arms hurt. You, you the things that you're like, these are not. I'm, my cyclist body is not used to um, using any of these sort of muscles to this capacity. Um, but I think also for us, like, to be able to raise the very first edition that we would have um, for Perrier Femmes, then we know what it means. Uh, to also all the women before us that petitioned to try to have this race and could never have raced it. And so, so, uh, you know, as rough as it is, we also, there's this sense inside me that we just wanna show and prove to the world, prove um, to the culture of our sport that like women are meant to be doing this race. Um, And and also knowing that we're a tough bunch and super resilient, and, you know, to to be at this race. Uh, but it was interesting, like the first year, um, and, you know, it kept getting canceled and then put on again and then canceled and postponed. And so we raced it in October and it was so wet. And that, after that edition, I remember finishing it in the velodrome and, you know, a journalist comes up and says, oh, are you ready for the next one in the sixth month? And I was like, don't say that to me. <laughs> 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 because that wet edition... Like you couldn't ride all the gutters, you had to ride all the cobbles because everything was wet and muddy, and it was so rough on the body. And like, oh crashing three times and we crashed on the cobbles. It's it crashing on uneven stones is also not nothing like crashing on a pavement or or you know a, a smooth pavement where you think uh, is is actually much nicer to crash on than than these rough cobbles. So. Just like thinking, oh man, I don't know. This race is only for spectators. It is not for the athletes. We don't choose to do this. It's just, it's just purely for the entertainment of no spectators. But then when we came to a dry edition of the second, the second year, and basically, I just tried to ride the gutter at at any time, uh, I could avoid the cobbles. That's what I was doing, and I had so much fun doing that because it's a little bit of a game, like hopping on and off. And can you ride this? Like how? You know the the gutter and it's getting real small. I'll hop back on and like oh now you're bumping into people and that little bit of chaos just like I just eat that shit up. I just love it. So then I was like yeah, um, I love this race. I think it is is it is so fun. Um, just for kind of the gamifying effect of of uh, you know how to avoid the calls or how do you ride them or how do you take the turns or um, all of it. I just love it. So uh, and then I started to believe a little bit more that like yeah. If I could get a clean run at this race, yeah, it's my race.
0: See, if they would have promised me a clean run at that race, I probably would have tried it. But like, like Yen said, the first time I ever got on those cobblestones, um, during a recon, just, just for fun, like we were doing a recon for another race and they're like, Hey, there's a section of cobbles here that they use in Peru Bay. And we get on there and it was white knuckled. I was freaking out. We get done, and I'm like, okay, so that was one of those five-star ones, right? They were like, no, Bobby, that was a two-star. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm out, I'm out. But you, you said it, like, you women doing this race are tough. You're resilient. But your victory celebration afterwards was one for the ages. Like, you said that you wanted to finish that race, and you gave 100%, and you didn't want to have anything left, yet, you looked like you were having fun. And when you did that little dance, I think everybody was like, Whoa, wait, wait, what? what is she doing right now? And then of course I go on your social media and I see that this is, this is you. And that's what I think cycling lacks so much now, especially in the men's peloton, are those characters. So I want to know a little bit about that famous dance that you did and your whole inspiration to... To make yourself a bit of a character and say, listen, I'm a bike racer, I'm a tough woman, but I'm gonna have fun and I don't care what you
1: think. Yep, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, but honestly, I love what I get to do. Like I love bike racing, I love the game, I just I love the places we do it in. I I love the storyline of each race. I love that because of the players. Every year we do the same races, but because of the players, it's going to be a different race. And I love that. Um, I love that we can be a difference maker in, in how the storyline of a race goes. Um, and that it's not always the strong as the wins, but sometimes the smart smartest, And I, I just, I love it all. Um, and I'm a very ex- expressive person, always been this way. I love being the entertainer, even when I was a kid. Um, I just wanted everyone to have a good time on i would be the person at birthday parties just trying to make everyone laugh like i uh that's just always been been who i am i've always loved making little videos um and and yeah sharing my joy of of life basically with others uh and really like a lot of these videos for me um was a response to the the pandemic. I had I was home alone a lot and had a lot of time on my hands, but I really needed to laugh. Um I, I just love laughing and that was basically how I was gonna cope with with the pandemic. And then I started making these videos and I'm killing myself laughing on my own. And I thought, oh, like it's just so funny. Other people gotta see it too and no sugar you with friends and sharing it with others and posting it on socials and just getting such a great response. It just like encouraged me to like make more and and uh, I mean, I do it because I just love to do it. I, I always have loved Dan. I love storytelling, um, telling a good joke. And so, um, yeah, it just exudes out of me. And I think after Perry Roubaix, knowing that this is such an accomplishment for me, uh, that this is something I've set out to do, you know, win a world tour race, win a classic, win a big bike race. Um, you know, in my career has been eight years. And you know we're we're st- every year we still try you know have the same goal, and to be able to do it and to do it in the velodrome, of um, Perry Bay, is just, just yeah. I had no words, I only had dance moves.
2: So you seem to have a lot of energy. Uh, did all that energy help you to, after Roubaix, you went um, across the ocean, basically, to Panama City, right? For the um, Continental Pan Am Games, and you were pretty successful there. How did you deal with that and the jet lag or the expectations on you? Was it a fun trip for you? Or you were? Oh, I wish I would have like a little time off now.
1: I really did take a lot of time to just like dig in and celebrate this moment. You know, we have other races and stuff, but when do you get this moment? I'll never be here again, you know, in this moment of time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna absolutely like dig in and celebrate and with with my team and with my friends and with my family and just like keep it going because you know, it's so easy as athletes to just start looking at the next thing. You know, we always have the next bike race, we have the next goal. Um, we check this one off and we move to the next thing and we can be, you know, in the hardest of times, still critical on ourselves. Like, okay, how can I do this better? And so on that a lot of times we forget to celebrate the little things or the big things or really remember that actually like, what have we been working towards this whole time? All of this is so that we can win a big bike race like Perry Roubaix. So then when we do, we got to I just wanted to take all of those feelings and the confidence and the, the I'm a boss feelings and sh- soak it deep into my bones, so that when we get to another part in in life and in in my career where you know things aren't going to be going as well for me, that that's inevitable, you know, and to still have that confidence and that good feeling deep inside of me to know that what is still possible. Um, uh, so I, I just really believe in, yeah, the power of celebration. But, so I've been soaking it all, soaking it all in. And then heading over to Panama, um, you know, I I kept thinking that either, you know, my legs would just be really weighed down by all these cobblestones, or, you know, I still take some of this, like, jazz hand energy or this confidence in, into this next vibration. And, and what was interesting about, like, you know, going over to Panama, I think... Um, I mean, I, I couldn't even go to the in the hotel um, where all the nations are staying, all the athletes are staying. I couldn't go from my room anywhere without getting, you know, stopped to take photos and, and you know, having shit, chat and photos. I'd be in the buffet line scooping my rice and then people would come up and ask for photos. And so there's photos of me just, like, with, with us for athletes, but I'm just, like, scooping the rice onto my plate. Like, you know, it was quite a lot. Um, but I also think, like, when I was a kid, if I could have met you know, one of my sporting heroes. Um just like how cool and important that would be and it would it would be such a memorable moment in my life, um, if they were nice to me, you know? And then and I also think like I love storytelling. And by, you know, being in people's photos or interacting with them, it gives them a story to go and tell. And uh and it becomes part of their story. And it's a, it's a cool thing. And I, and I love that. I love that about sport and that, you know, that's kind of like the legacy that it can live. So, so I totally just like buy into all of that, um, and to take the time to do that. So it was, that's also like, you know, trying to perform at a bike race where, where you're spending all this like incredible energy, you know, with, with others. But I also think about like Panama, you know, I'm coming to South America, like how many you know, classics riders come out of South America, not very likely. Usually, they, you know, become, you know, climbers or they're a little bit more stage racer tight if they can make it over to, to Europe. So I think it's really unique to have a classics winner, a pair rube winner, travel to where they are and and hang out and they get a chance to, to to meet a classics winner. So I kind of see this like bigger picture and I just wanna um yeah, you know, if it inspires someone or gives them a great story to tell, then I'm totally into it. And then um yeah, basically I'm just hoping for the best in the bike race. We go from Belgium of uh, where it's like 10 degrees cold and rainy to Panama where it's like 50-60% humidity and 33 degrees. Uh was quite a big shock to the body, but um uh so yeah, you, you know, I, I hopped off the airplane our race still Gold on the 16th. Flew direct on the 17th, raced the time trial on the 18th. It was quite the wild, wild turnaround. around. Um, but you know, I also say that life is about story collecting. And either this was going to be like a very interesting negative story, but a story nonetheless, or maybe we would have something successful and it would be like a great story. But we were going to get a good story out of it. And uh, yeah, my, my whole time there was was basically still kind of carrying on the Prairie Bay Party um, celebration, um, feeling like the cobble queen, but also, yeah. Um, collecting some medals too.
0: Yeah. I, I remember that we were speaking with your press agent and, you know, not only after Roubaix, did you have to do Robin Sapil and Amstel Gold, but then nope, sorry, we'll have to do it afterwards because she's going to Panama. And I was just like, Uh, Are they just blowing us off? Who would get on the plane (laughs) to go to Panama (laughs) after that when she has so much to celebrate? But I'm so happy that you said that you took time to celebrate the moment because Jens and I were on a a pretty successful team and we won a lot. And it got to the point where we barely chinned a glass of champagne. It was just like on to the next one, right? And. I, I didn't win as much as Jens. I didn't win as much as Fabian and Stuart O'Grady. So like when I did win, I was like, I want to take a second here, but like that mentality of onto the next one, you know, cycling let's face it is very much a, what have you done for me lately sport? Right. Um, how are you dealing with that attention and those potential distractions after coming off such a huge win, like Perry, Rube Fama Vick, Swift.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think it's a really important to have a life balance, and I think for me coming to into the sport later, I've already you know been able to experience another side of life, um, and so cycling hasn't been my whole world. So, um, and then also, I mean, even how I you know do all my dancing and making videos and so on like that that's a really fun balance to like the seriousness of, of my sport. Um, but, but I think then when you can be really successful in one thing, um, you know, that carries you through, it gives you a lot of positive feedback, but when you have two things, then if one thing is not going so well, you have another area where you can get a lot of positive feedback from, and it, and it, and all of that matters, all getting positive feedback from somewhere is going to help build up your confidence and your, you know, how you attack you know the 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 area of your life that is maybe not going so well um
2: so i'm afraid i'm i'm gonna be the bus kid because one of my questions was what is your next program for the rest of the year i'm sorry to bring that up now i feel like a total um like mood killer here but um how is it going further for you for uh, there's a few more months left after all the celebrating of course but yeah. um <laughs> What's up next dreaming of the yellow jersey in the Tour de France or what's up next for you
1: Yeah um so for sure from this win I've gained so much confidence that that you know to talk myself into uh, trying to manifesting another big win and and I'm still like that you know I'm able to stele- really celebrate what what's happened and soak it in but also I can't help but start dreaming of the next of the next thing you know because now now to me even I proved to myself that I can do something hard. I can, I can make a dream come true. So what else, what else can, can we put on the list to like, to make happen? And, um, yeah, we still have so many bike races, you know, and the Tour de France is also another really big one that's in the media, um, and, you know, new for us. And it, and it's really just like riding a great wave of how women's cycling is growing. And, and so, um, yeah th- there'll be there'll be a day or two that i you know with the team um that i uh, you know i want to have a day where i can put my hand up and say like i w- i want a shot at at winning a, a stage here and uh, and then um yeah i mean i also get a lot of um you know great feelings um, by helping my teammates also win. And, and I really believe that, you know, in order for me to win a big bike race, it it has to be because I have a great team and strong teammates. But I also believe that, that I can be a difference maker for my teammates. And that's super validating for me. One of my favorite cycling memories is 2019 world championships in Innsbruck, um, where at that time, uh, I mean, Canada. We hadn't really had any, you know, t- top ten sort of results. And the girl that we were riding for, you know, Innsbruck's a really hard course, and she gets dropped um, on, you know, on the on the first lap of the climbs. And I'm dropped on like third group, but I stand like a crazy person, and then I catch this group, and she's in it. And I was confused because I was like, well, this is the second group. Like I really believed that she could win, but I could see just that the, you know, the the bikes on the top of the caravan of the group in front. And so I was just like. Like we're getting there, so and and I pull I pull her all the way to the, the like the start of the next five right to into the front of that group, and she goes on. I mean, at that time, she thought, "Oh my, race is over." Like you know, she had made a mistake, whatever. Didn't didn't uh, wasn't in the front group. She you know she was thought when I was coming up there to, to have a chat that we were going to talk about pulling out, but I was like so determined, putting the positive pressure on her. Basically, now I did a big effort to put her in that front group. And then she went on to get the best result that um, Cycling Canada we ha- you know has had in in many years, um, six um, you know at that World Championship. But there is no way she could have done that without me. I made the difference. I I was the difference maker, and for and even her after she was like I thought my race was over, but but because I put on the positive pressure, I showed her that I really believed that she could do it. So then she started believing too. And then, you know, was able to pull out this great result, her best result in uh, world championships, you know. Um, and that, for me, taking away from that particular race, I love that feeling of being a difference maker. I love the feeling of winning, being a difference maker by being the first one across the line. But it's such a great feeling being a difference maker for, for a teammate. Um, to When you know that they've got a skill that is be- going to be better than you in this moment, you um, so I really look forward to moments like that with the team, and I love it. cycling. You know, has something for everyone, right? We, we for different types of riders that can be really, you know, I I love being on this team because there are girls that can do things I cannot. They're not in my wheelhouse to be so excellent at, and so I'm really excited to to support those riders to to come away with the with the big win for the team. Dang.
0: So many of your answers have just been like book worthy, um, bumper sticker, <laughs> bumper sticker worthy. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I have one more question slash comment. You know, Yen's and I have some of these fancy friends that have between one and in one guy's case three of those special little cobblestone trophies that you guys that you guys and gals get. So each one of those guys kind of have a different philosophy on it. Like one guy, it's buried, no one sees it. Another one, maybe it's kind of like you got to look for it. The other one, the guy who has three has kind of like a, almost like a a trophy case, but I think it's down in his weight room or his sauna or something like that. It's not like front and center. So Allison, what are the plans to display for the rest of your life? Because remember, your win is going to be watched for generations. Like, your name will never be forgotten, and you have that giant cobblestone trophy to prove it. But what are your plans for displaying that cobblestone trophy?
1: Well, I think uh, you can all be sure to uh, see this cobblestone in many more of my videos. And whether it's going to be front and center or obscurely in the background somewhere where you have to, you know, where's Waldo 5 to find the the cobblestone? But for sure, it's going to be making many cameos. And many more films to come um but yeah I think uh for the time being um like I, I set up my home in in Girona Spain um and uh it's it's gonna be here uh in my apartment and uh probably a really fun feature of whatever dinner parties I I have um I made sure that after yeah because really it is such it's such an iconic trophy. And, you know, of the rarest, right? And I made sure that after the race, I made every one of my teammates and staff members hold the trophy. Because even for all of us, like, when will you see one again? Or will you ever get the opportunity to hold the Perry Bay trophy, this cobblestone? Um, so I I think it's just the coolest thing. So um, I'm excited to have, you know, people come over. I, I make anyone who comes over hold up this trophy to just... Feel the weight. Um, feel the the weight of that trophy, but also the weight of the trophy in in you know a metaphorical sense of like what it really means to win something like that, or to be around. Uh, you know the legacy that this thing is. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's the the only thing is that I'm not going to be taking it around with me as I walk around town or anything. It's just <laughs> that's too much. That's where I draw the line.
2: So, to our listeners, because we are podcast, not a video podcast, if Alison moves just a little bit to her left, we can see the rock yes. just behind her when she's <laughs> sitting on the desk. So, people, she is really proud of it. And it is in the picture on our podcast. But I have an easy question for you. You're Canadian, right? And you probably only need one or two words to answer this question What is your hockey team?
1: Edmonton Oilers.
2: There you go. There was no hesitation at all. Fantastic.
1: <laughs> and we're in the playoffs, round two, so it's looking good. If they can have, you know, a little bit of the luck that I had on Perry Rebea, I'd be very happy. And then I'd also be very happy if I get the invitation to uh, drop the puck at, at one of these playoff games. So let's, let's make that happen.
0: We'll do it, you know... uh our social media game is super strong, so we'll drop this in the the right baskets. But Allison, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. I know you've done a bunch of these. I know you're probably sick and tired, but you just wowed me and wowed our listeners. So thank you so much today for giving us some of your time today on Bobby and Jens.
1: Appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Absolutely.
2: Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Alison for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and don't forget to share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mossa. Alison mentioned she wants to drop
0: the puck for the Edmonton Oilers. If you could get involved in any sport, what would you like to do? Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Bobby and Jens, and let us know.